Paratruth Radio is a proud member of Evergreen Podcasts on KillerPodcast.com. Do you like dogs? I do too. That's why today's episode is brought to you by BarkBox.com. Get one free extra month of BarkBox at www.getbarkbox.com forward slash Paratruth. Christian and non-Christian paranormal investigators. They have two different views. And it seems as if neither of them can ever agree on anything. So what happens when a mainstream view of the paranormal crosses paths with the Christian view? And welcome to Parachute Radio, your one-stop spot for all of your supernatural info needs. My name is Eric. And I'm Justin. And I just wanted to mention really fast, folks, that we are now part of several networks, TMV Cafe, uh, Radio and Podcast.com, as well as Fringe Radio Network and Paranormal UK Radio Network. And we are so happy and blessed to be on those networks. Uh, they... Paranormal UK just featured us starting last week, so stay tuned wherever you're listening because we are freaking everywhere. That's a very simple-minded way of putting that. <laughs> <laughs> Folks, today... Hey, wait, 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 wait. Are you, are you trying uh, to say that I'm simple-minded? That's not a bad thing. <laughs> In today's world, too many people think too much. Like, jeez. <laughs> Anyway, today we are speaking with Perry Marshall. He is the author of Evolution 2.0, and we will be discussing the ultimate scientific debate on evolution. Is there any truth to it? Could Darwin have been wrong? Is there evidence of evolution within creation? And ultimately, can science and religion come together in order to find an absolute on the evolution controversy? This and much, much more starting right now. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, children of all ages, for those of you listening at TMV Cafe, Fringe Radio Network, Paranormal UK Radio Network, or ParatruthRadio.com, let's get ready to expose some lies. Perry, welcome to Paratruth Radio. It is good to have you with us tonight. It's good to be here. Um, I am glad to be on your show, and uh, we're going to mix it up. We're going to get some controversy going. Sounds All right. Good. We love controversy. <laughs> it's one of our favorite <laughs> things. <laughs> All right. I was just going to say one thing I wanted to bring up right away because uh, you had mentioned this is mentioned in the book. Uh, our audiences consist of people from all walks of life. However, you're pretty specific about who should and should not read this book. Uh, who's the <laughs> book? <laughs> who's the book geared toward? And why shouldn't some people read it? Well, you know, uh, the creation evolution debate, you know, it's kind of like abortion, gay rights, gun control, and immigration. You know, it's probably like one of the top five most heated topics. And, um, you know, and y- you wouldn't think it should be because supposedly it should be 
based on um, inferences or facts or data or, or whatever, but, but people are very emotional about it. And, you know, if you're not willing to have your views challenged, well, you shouldn't read the book and you probably shouldn't even listen to the rest of this podcast. Um, however, if you always felt like, well, it always seemed like something was a little missing in that conversation or that there was something somebody wasn't telling you or that maybe there had to be more to this thing than what you'd heard so far, then I think you'll be really interested because, because that's all true. There's, there's a lot here that most people have never heard at all. So one thing that intrigued me was first off your background, you come from a uh, engineer communications background, also doing business books and business uh consultations how do you go from that to evolution 2.0 what made you want to write the book and how did you transition from business to this well so so on the surface this might like seem totally illogical like what uh so i worked in acoustics and then digital networking and wrote an ethernet book then i wrote a bunch of business books what what does any of that have to do with evolution? Well, I'll tell you two things. They have a lot to do with evolution. Um, one thing is is a biggest epiphany I, that I just about ever had in my life um, was um, it was in 2004, and I had gone down this rabbit hole of having an argument with my brother, which I'll probably tell you about in a little bit. And uh, and I said, you know what? I've never looked into this whole evolution thing. I'm gonna I'm going to roll up my sleeves and I'm going to dive in. I'm going to figure this out. And I, I was really lost for a while. And, and then I had this giant realization. I was trying to study DNA and, and everything. And I and it suddenly was like, wait, I, I've seen this before. Holy cow. I, 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 I know what this is. Um, this is in my ethernet book. Um, and, and so I, I wrote this book called industrial ethernet and, what I realized in that moment was that DNA was digital code and it's formatted a very particular way. And, you know, nobody ever really thinks about this because we all take it for granted. But when you're sitting on your computer and your wireless modem is, you know, you're streaming videos through your cell phone or whatever it is, Skype, you know, we're on Skype right now talking to each other. There's a very, very particular format that all that data is going back and forth in. And DNA has, very, very, very similar data formats. And so I, I realized that, hey, wait a minute, this is a digital code problem. Evolution is a problem about how does code get from one form to another, okay? And and so all of a sudden, the six years that I had spent working in the networking business suddenly came in extremely handy. And so in biology, this is called bioinformatics. Well, here's the other thing that ended up being really handy is I wrote the world's best-selling book on Google Advertising. And, you know, I never said this in the book, really, but what I taught people how to do in the original Google book was how to do accelerated Darwinian evolution. Okay? So there's millions of ads on the Internet for everything from plumbers to Botox to you know, to, to dentists, to, you know, whatever. Okay. And the way that you win in inter- internet advertising is you test ads against each other. 
add A versus B versus C? You know, do we say 50% off? Do we say buy one, get one free? You know, all these kinds of things. And, and the way you succeed in Google advertising is you actually stage these little contests and you kind of like kill off your babies as fast as you can. And you try to get to a better and a better result. And, and as I got into this, I started realizing that myself, my clients, my students ha- were doing high speed evolutionary experiments every single day of our life. Hmm. And that Google was a big giant natural selection machine. And that actually anybody who did online advertising or anything resembling it actually understood evolution a lot better than they probably even realized. Uh, most people never really even put the two t- together. And so, so actually my background ended up being a superb background. Now it didn't prevent me from having to buy a hundred biology books and like, <laughs> seriously, I mean, maybe 200. Okay. And hundreds of scientific papers and all this kind of stuff. But actually all these topics go because they're, they're all about digital code. And so, um, it, it's re- like I could have never made this up when I started, but, but that's what ended up happening. All right. So are you saying like basically, just for example, somebody learning something, is that a type of evolution in a sense? Well, or is that different in a, in a, in a superficial way, but, but mm-hmm. where, where you get evolution is where, is where whatever you learned ends up getting passed on to offspring. And, and I, I hope that we can circle back to that eventually because Really, the whole field of evolution is in a turmoil right now. Mm-hmm. The, the the whole entire profession is being rearranged. Um, and there's a huge debate in the evolutionary world of, you know, can we just kind of shoehorn a whole bunch of new stuff into an old theory? Or do we have to, like, literally strip the old theory down to its engine blocks and start over? And and I think the answer is number two. We we have to take the whole thing, strip it down to its en- engine blocks. And this changes the whole creation evolution debate in a pretty significant way. And it's really fascinating. It's really exciting. And I, and I think that, you know, we're at a huge crossroads in our society with, with artificial intelligence, with genome editing, with all kinds of technologies that are very promising and also very scary. And if you don't have a proper understanding of evolution, we could have some really big catastrophes. All right. Well, now, at the beginning of Evolution 2.0, you tell a story about a conversation that you had with your friend's 12-year-old daughter. Love this story. Uh, Her name was Melanie. Uh, You go on to familiarize her with evolution by explaining how germs become resistant to antibiotics. My question is, what exactly does this type of evolution look like on a much grander scale, say, years and years and years down the road? Well, let me tell you that story so everybody's familiar. So okay. we've all, we've all gone to the doctor with, you know, we, you had strep or you had something, right? And, and, and so the doctor writes you a, a prescription for antibiotics and he says like really sternly, you have to finish the whole bottle. Do not take half of this and then it gets better and then you stop. He goes, and now why? Because you have to kill those suckers dead. And if you don't, they'll come roaring back with a vengeance. And so the book starts with uh, talking to my friend's daughter, Melanie, who's 12. And I say to Melanie, 
I, I said, you've heard this, right? She goes, yeah. And in fact, she even knew why, like, cause the bugs will become super bugs. I said, so Melanie, has anybody ever told you why or how they do this? And she goes, no. And I said, well, there's a lot of books that'll tell you that this happens basically by accident or by chance. I said, that's not what happens. I said, um, every cell, um, most cells, most germs, uh, they have this thing called a plasmid, but I call it a Dropbox folder and it's for <laughs> file sharing. Okay. And, um, and so bacteria will have a copy of their own DNA in the, in the Dropbox folder and they will share with other bacteria. So you're t- taking antibiotics and the strep germs are dying and they're going, Hey, wait a minute. You know, if I don't get this poison out of my system, it's leaking in my cell wall. If I don't pump it out somehow, I'm dead. And so it will go around and it will look for a pump and it will find eventually some cell that has a pump and it will reach into its Dropbox folder, pull in the DNA, look at it, go, okay, here's the code that codes for the pump, insert it, read the code, build a pump, pump the poison out. Then it will update its Dropbox folder and start sharing that code with all its bacteria friends. And then it will divide off new bacteria that have pumps, like daughter bacteria. And this could happen in as little as 30 minutes. And, um, and, and this is going on all the time. This is going on all over the world, 24-7. And, and it gives you, like, it's like a little tip of the iceberg or a little scratch on the surface of what the evolutionary process has been doing for three and a half billion years because cells are smart and cells evolve in a smart way and they evolve in response to whatever's going on in the environment. So if everything's they're they're just like humans, okay? If everything's cushy and they're just watching TV and eating Doritos, they don't evolve. Okay, they just go on and they just go on and they just go on. But when suddenly they're faced with threats or extinction or or adverse conditions, they will suddenly start rearranging their body chemistry. They'll change their genomes. They'll do all kinds of crazy things to adapt. Okay, and and so this is just a little tiny sliver of what goes on even at a much larger scale you know, with mammals and fish. And, and so this, I, what I ended up finding out was that evolution works very differently than I had ever been told. And that really, this was the biggest untold story in the history of science. And it was all over the literature. Like there's tons of literature that describes this, but it doesn't make it into the popular conversations. Mm -hmm. So what it's sounding like to me, which first and foremost, I honestly loved that you broke it down to more like computer code than biology. Uh, but what it's sounding like you're describing is genetic memory more so than an evolution as we think ape to man. Okay, so so there are um, – do you know the term – Kaizen continuous improvement is is that a word that you've heard? It's not. Familiar it's like to me, uh, no. it's 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 this Japanese idea of you know you make the cars a little bit better every day, right? Mm-hmm. Like like 
you know, if there's some little thing on the assembly line, the worker notices it and they say, hey, we can make this better. And six months later, they've made 783 little improvements to the Toyota Corolla. Okay. Mm-hmm. Now, now there are in, in my book, uh, Evolution 2.0, I describe five blades of the Swiss Army knife, which are the five major mechanisms that cells use to generate evolution. And the first three, are all these little gradual incremental improvement kinds of things. And the, the, what I described with the germs and the antibiotics is one of those. It's, it's not a major quantum leap. It's like, okay, let's make this little improvement. Let, let's add a, you know, we already got a whole cell here, but let's add a pump, right? It's, mm. it's just increments. All right. But there are two that will get you completely new species that you didn't have before and it could happen in as little as one generation. Okay. And so, uh, one of them, most people are a little bit familiar with and it's called hybridization. And, and so an example of that would be donkey plus horse equals mule. Okay. Right. So a, a donkey has 63 chromosomes. A horse has 63 chromosomes. A mule has 126. Uh, and so what, what's happening is you're taking two different species, you're merging them together, and in that case, you're getting a male sterile mule, okay? And, like, everybody's probably has kind of heard of, about that. Well, what most people don't know is that sometimes you'll get you, – you can get a female, not just a male – and sometimes you can get it fertile, not sterile. So if you had a female mule and a male mule and you bred them, you would have a race of mules and you would have a completely new species. Now, in animals, this does not happen very often, but it does happen. And it gives you a new species immediately. Uh, in plants, it happens all the time. Mm-hmm. It's very easy to do. And we get new species of plants all the time in botany, and and this is a major way that you get new species. Now, there's another way that you can get new species, which is very interesting, and it, it works like this. So um, if you look out your window and you see anything that's green, um, you probably learned in high school biology that it's because um, the plants have a chloroplast, which which it's the green thing. Turn sunlight energy. Okay. Well, what most people never told you is what a chloroplast actually is. And a chloroplast is a blue green algae that is living inside a plant cell. Okay. It's like a Starbucks in a Marriott hotel lobby. Okay. All right. And, and, and so that it, it literally is a separate cell. It has its own DNA. It reproduces on its own, it, and it, 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 but it, it lives inside a plant cell, and the plant, the plant cell and the algae have formed. So think, of, think of if you had a Marriott hotel that didn't have a coffee shop, and Starbucks came in and they built a coffee shop. Like, okay, where's your water lines, and where's your drainage, and where's the electricity, and 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 we need circuit breakers, right? Imagine all that stuff that has to go in there. Well, the algae in the cell have worked out a very similar arrangement where there's all these um, these functions that are duplicate 
duplicated between the two where it's like, okay, I don't, you don't need to do this. I'll do it. And, and I don't need to do this. So you do it. And, and they've actually deleted some of their DNA. They've got rid of stuff that they don't need. Um, and, and that's called symbiogenesis. And symbiogenesis is a major component of evolution. In fact, there are layers and layers and layers, uh, like in your body, you have cells within cells within cells where the original cell actually did a merger acquisition with a larger cell and, and then went on because it's, it's more efficient and more effective. It's like, it's kind of like Intel inside in a computer. Okay. And, and so this has been going on and, and you can experimentally, um, do this. Uh, so like I've got a friend at the University of Tennessee who actually got amoebas and bacteria to merge together in exactly the way that I described. And so, so on, on the, on the evolutionary Swiss army knife, you have five blades and three of them are these little incremental improvements. And two of them are these quantum leaps. And the quantum leaps aren't very common. They don't happen that often, but they do happen. And now, if you, if you read very much about evolution, you'll, you'll, you'll always run into this, this thing that there was never as many transitional fossils as what Darwin predicted. Well, that's because they aren't there. And the reason they're not there is that the transition from donkey Donkey plus horse equals mule, for example, is a sudden, almost instantaneous transition, and there isn't anything in between. Mm-hmm. And so, and so, um, what's going on here is that cells and organisms have this ability to reintegrate in real time, to change their body chemistry, to change their own genetics, and this is the story that nobody's telling you. Uh, meanwhile, the creationists and the Darwinists are all, they're, they're just throwing rocks at each other and, and neither side is really telling you the story. Right. So it sounds like what you're, what you're really talking about here is, uh, in part microevolution, but then also the macroevolution, uh, if I'm not mistaken. Um, yes, exactly. And so I, I'm assuming, I, I mean, it, it only makes sense that Either of the two can only work within the same species. So unlike Darwinism, you can't really go from animal to human or, you know, fish to human or whatever. It has to be within the same species, right? Well, so, so, um, in, um, in, in evolutionary history, one of these huge advantages that we have now that we didn't used to have is we have all this genome data. Right. We can see okay. sequence genomes of zebras and giraffes and humans and, and all this kind of stuff. And, and, um, and so th- there was, there was this guy named Ono in the 1970s. He came up with this kind of radical idea that, that was considered pretty, uh, pretty out there at the time. But what he said was, was that, um, well, okay. Let me, let me back up. Um, so, when you take donkey plus horse equals mule, that's called a genome duplication because you double the number of chromosomes. And, and they, they were starting to look at, at DNA in the 1970s and this guy noticed a pattern and he said, he said, I see a certain pattern in, in 
in low level animals like invertebrates in the, in their genomes, I see a doubling of the pattern in, in vertebrates. And I see an, an, another doubling like a, like a, from one X to two X to four X. He, he, he found this, this, uh, an, an additional doubling in vertebrates that had jaws. And what he figured out, which is now accepted as most likely what happened, was that two invertebrates bred together to produce a vertebrate and two vertebrates bred together to produce a vertebrate with jaws. And all vertebrates and all vertebrates with the jaws are then um, descendants of those original ones. And now, if you stop and think about it, like, this is really amazing. I mean, it's almost like, it's almost like if you took all of the CAD drawings for a Toyota Prius and you took all of the CAD drawings for a, um, a Toyota Camry and you blended them together and suddenly you had an electric minivan. Okay. <laughs> I mean, it'd be like, Oh my goodness, that is just amazing. Now, now a lot of times, um, these, uh, these mergers of, of hybrids, they don't actually work out. They're kind of failure prone. They're, you know, kind of erratic, just like, you know, just kind of like uh, human merger acquisitions are, you know, sometimes mm-hmm. they fail, right? But sometimes they succeed and then you get something brand new. And, and in my business consulting, what I've seen is that, you can almost never ever get a quantum leap working inside an existing business or an inside existing structure with the things that you already have. Almost all business breakthroughs come when you go completely on the outside, you get something brand new, you bring it in and it's completely foreign. It's never been used. So here, let me give you an example of when this happened. So, uh, Sergey, uh, Larry Page and Sergey Brin, they, they were at Stanford. They came up with this idea of, they, they were doing this research, uh, project on scientific papers referencing each other and they accidentally discovered that they had made a search engine, um, out of this program that they wrote just to pr- prove their thesis. And pretty soon people are using this as a search engine. It's better than Yahoo and better than AltaVista and better than Hotbot or whatever the other search engines mm-hmm. were. And, and all of a sudden now we have Google. Okay. Well, they did it by going and getting a completely different idea, you know, so, so yeah, a plant cell ingests an algae instead of eating it. It's like, Hey, let's have a little energy partnership. How about I give you a safe place to live? And how about, you give me some energy with that, you know, sunlight, you, you know, and, and there you go. And, and so this is actually applicable to regular problems that people have to solve every day. Okay. Hmm. So something Eric and I have talked about numerous times is microevolution. And we're not talking about microevolution on a microbotic scale, but, but more along the lines of a boar grows tusks when it's in the wild compared to in captivity um and you know i i feel that humans as a whole have done that as well over the years uh but to jump from from darwin for example ape to man 
do you think there was that much of a blending of, of DNA that we finally came to this conclusion now? Or do you think that uh, man is something that's been here be- from close to the beginning? Well, so, you know, this is not my area of expertise, but I, I can tell you some interesting things. Um, uh, there are, I think, 287,000 um, transposons, which are called jumping genes. Barbara McClintock discovered those in the 1940s that are common only to um, – primates and humans um and uh so like so i grew up uh maybe maybe we should call out an elephant in the room here so so i grew up uh in the super traditional christian upbringing and i i was taught the traditional kind of non-evolutionary <laughs> perspectives on things and um and the the idea that humans could have come from primates was considered really insulting, right? Like, mm-hmm. like, oh, you know, your your mom is a baboon, or your your daddy's a chimpanzee, and you know that like this makes us, you know, less than. Mm-hmm. Well, um, so let's let's just put that out there, okay? And then let's put something else out there, um, and then let's see what. We're, we might do with the two. Okay. Mm-hmm. So, so you have this, this idea where, you know, scientists generally say that humans evolved from primates, but then you have the statement in the Declaration of Independence and it says this. It says, we consider these things to be self-evident that all men are endowed by their creator with certain inalienable rights and those are life, liberty and pursuit of happiness. Okay. Now, that is one of the most powerful ideas in all of human history, okay? And it's the, it's the basis, it's the legal basis for everything that modern people consider to be human rights, okay? Right? And, 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 and we have all, we're constantly trying to expand that and improve it, right? So, so, you know, women have been voting for a really long time and we abolished slavery and now we're trying as best as we can to figure out a way that everybody could get health care, everybody gets education, everybody has enough to eat, right? And this is all based on the idea that God made humans equal, right? Mm-hmm. So how do you, how do you square that with, but hey, aren't we all just, you know, evolved from you know, from lower things and really isn't everything unequal in the whole world. Right. And, and, and how do we get away from this idea that life is just survival, the fittest, because any definition of civilization that you can come up with just about is pushing against the survival of the fittest idea. Why do we use manners? Why do we not kill everybody who, you know, doesn't agree with us. Why, you know, why don't we just claw our way to the top? And, and I, I, first, I'm going to suggest to you that we are all correct in wanting to embrace this idea of human rights. And I also wanted to suggest to you that you can never get that out of 
evolutionary theory. You actually have to make a leap. Okay. Now, there's a lot of like atheistic type people or maybe people on the far left who think that that leap is illogical, but I argue you have to make that leap or you have no basis for civilization. You literally don't. And if you want to see a civilization that wouldn't that decide to unmake that leap, you can go look at communist Russia and you can look at communist China and you can look at the stack of 120 million dead bodies and you can see what you think about that. Um, that th- this idea that all people are, are made by God and are created equal, it's the most powerful idea in Western civilization. And so here we, we have this tension. Now, I think the only way that you can resolve this tension is to acknowledge that human beings are spiritual creatures. We ask questions that the chimpanzees and the baboons and the orangutans do not ask. Uh, and we live at a level that all the others do not live at mm. and that we need to accept that at face value. And, um, and in fact, I, I really don't, I really don't think you can have a modern notion of human rights without grounding it in the idea of God. Otherwise it just becomes this, this human construction. Um, mm. but it, it becomes, uh, let's, let's acknowledge that it's quite a bit more the total picture is quite a bit more complicated and nuanced than just, you know, like the Genesis story, which I have immense respect for. Uh, and in fact, I, I have a chapter in the back of my book called Genesis 2.0 where I say, okay, so what do you do with this? So how's that for a mouthful? <laughs> <laughs> well, so do you, do you think that evolution 2.0 kind of marries the two ideas together darwinism and creationism well i think i think there's there's two things that evolutionary 2.0 leads you to one of them is is anybody that tells you that evolution has explained away god does not understand evolution okay because even if now i don't know if it's possible uh to to go from big bang all the way to humans you know, with no divine interventions. Like, I don't know if that's possible. In fact, I have a $5 million technology prize around that. We can, we can talk about that. Mm-hmm. Um, we should, we need to talk about that. Okay. But, uh, the universe is an immensely, unbelievably impressive thing. Okay. If, you know, so let's just take one thing. Let's just take the expansion rate of the Big Bang. The expansion rate of the Big Bang had to be tuned to a precision of 120 decimal places. In other words, like plus or minus point zero 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 zero, you know, with 120 zeros and a one at the end, it had to be that fine tuned just for stars to form and just for it not to collapse on itself. And right. if you take all of the constants of the universe, like the size of an electron and the mass of a proton and all this stuff, if these were on dials, all the dials would have to be exactly uh, just just the way they are, or you just get a complete disaster. Okay, the universe has every appearance of having been engineered for a purpose, um, and and so I don't think you ever get away from God. What you have when you get to humans is you have humans 
everywhere in every culture and every civilization on every continent seeking the spiritual, seeking God. See, what is this all about? Okay, and and so, you know, I say if you're thirsty, it must mean there's water somewhere. Yeah. Okay, and so so I think you come at it from both directions, and you end up with we are spiritual creatures, we have a spiritual hunger, and we're trying to figure it out. Okay. So now that you brought up the, the contest, why don't you tell people about about that? Yeah, so um, so I announced uh, two weeks ago at Arizona State University, I was invited by Dr. Paul Davies, who's a very famous physicist. He's the director of the ASU Beyond program. He said, why don't you come to our Coffee at Beyond lecture series and talk about your prize? And so I went there and I announced the prize and it's, it's now live. If you go to naturalcode.org, it'll redirect you to a link on Hero X, which is kind of like X prize for anybody. And, uh, we have a $5 million, uh, technology pr- prize for a naturally occurring code. So when, when I made that realization that, Hey, wait a minute, DNA is digital code. It's just like Ethernet. It's just like Wi-Fi. Mm-hmm. Um, it's all ones and zeros, and and you can break it down. And you can figure it out. What I realized was, you know, Wi-Fi is designed by really smart people, and computer codes and operating systems are designed by really smart people. And so, it sure looks to me, as far as I could tell, that you know, life was uh, just a supremely amazing design. And and uh, in fact, I. So I, I gave this talk in 2005 at the biggest church in Chicago, Willow Creek, and my talk was called, If You Can Read This, I Can Prove God Exists. And, and my, my logic went like this. It said, well, DNA is a code. All of the other codes are designed. There, there aren't any exceptions that we know of. We don't know where DNA came from, so it sure looks like it's designed. And so I gave this whole talk about that. And, um, well, I posted that on my website, and it went viral. And a few months later, I was emailing back and forth with this atheist, and and I was backing him into a corner, and he got flustered. And so he goes to the largest at the time, the largest atheist website in the world, which was called Infidels, and they had a big discussion board there. And he posted a link to my talk, and he said, hey, you guys, why don't you be nice to this Perry guy while you rip him to shreds? And he just kind of, he just kind of turned me over to the wolves. Okay. And I'm like, Oh, great. Man, this is fun. Man, aren't, aren't, you know, okay, here we go. And so I started defending myself. Well, seven years later, it was the longest running, most viewed thread in the entire history of the world's largest atheist website. Nobody had ever poked a hole in my theory. Nobody ever produced an example of a code that's not designed. And, um, you know, I had basically won, um, but I, I, I had this frustration and the frustration was that every time this argument would start over again with somebody, it would go round and round in circles. And one day I realized like Perry, you have to tell people how to prove you wrong. And so I wrote the specification and I said, here's how to prove me wrong. Here's how you prove that you got a code without designing one. And I, and I said to this guy, I said, if you can solve this, I'll write you a check for 
and like the argument just stopped. Like it was over. Uh, just like that. <laughs> and, um, and, and, and I tried it again and again. Every, every time some atheist would come along, um, I would put that out there. I would, I would lay down the gauntlet and they would leave because they didn't have any evidence. Well, all right. That was fun for a while, but you know, I, I read a lot of stuff and I study a lot of stuff and I just got to think and I thought, you know what? What if somebody could actually solve this? What if they did? Like, I know I probably think you can't solve it, but what if you can solve it? And plus, if somebody did solve it, that would be kind of embarrassing. Like, why don't you think a few chess moves ahead? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And like, and I also got to thinking, like, you know, if somebody figured this out, that would be a very, 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 very big deal. Like huge. Mm-hmm. Right. It would be like one of the biggest discoveries of the whole 21st century mm-hmm. or, or maybe all time. And so I'm like, a friend of mine said to me, he goes, you know, Perry, you need to turn your $10,000 prize into a $10 million prize and you need to get people thinking about this. So that's what I did. So we're not up to 10 million yet. We're only at five. Uh, my apologies, you know, but, um, <laughs> we're, 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 we're working our way. You know, I'm still bringing on investors and stuff, but, but yeah, so we have this prize and I have, I have judges on my judging panel. Um, one of them is Michael Ruse. He's one of the leading atheist philosophers. And I, I reached out to him. I said, Hey, I need somebody on the other side mm-hmm. on my team so that you can validate that like we're not doing some creationist Trojan horse. And he agreed. He's a really great guy. He's at Florida State University. I got a guy named Dennis Noble who he's one of the top hundred scientists in the UK. He's an He's, he's a professor at Oxford University. He, um, he has a commander of the British Empire medal from Queen Elizabeth. Um, he is the guy who figured out the cardiac rhythm, which made pacemakers possible. And he's the president of the International Union of Physiologists, which is the world's largest organization of physiology scientists. And then I got a guy named George Church, who's at Harvard and MIT, He's a rock star of genomics and he's involved in almost every major breakthrough in genomics in the last 30 years. And uh, he agreed to be on my judging panel. So I have judges from Oxford, MIT and Harvard and like this thing's for real. And like, can it be solved? I don't know. Um, but what we are doing is we're making it really clear. Nobody has solved this. Okay, uh, you're welcome to speculate, you're welcome to guess, but you have to make it clear that it's just speculation, it's just guesswork, and it's a very, very hard problem. Where did life come from? Nobody knows. And, uh, you know, we live in an amazing universe, and I, and I think if, if this is solvable, the way anybody's gonna solve it is they're gonna go, well, how could the universe be so amazing as to give birth to life. Like what would have to be true of a universe that could create life out of non-life. Right. And, and so may the best man or woman win. Hmm. All right. That's pretty awesome. That's yeah. really cool. <laughs> uh, we actually have time for one more question here. So I just want to know uh, if you believe, why do you believe that it's important for science and religion to work together? So, um, 
Have you guys ever heard a story that goes like this? Christopher Columbus wants money to go on, on his uh, trip across the pond, to, you know, to and, and and the Queen of Spain says, "No, don't go, Christopher Columbus, because the Earth is flat and you'll fall off the edge of the Earth." Have you right. have you ever heard that story? Yeah. Yes. Okay. You know that story is completely made up. No. Okay. In 1871, a guy made that up, and it's still in textbooks. Hi, I'm Emma. And I'm Joe. And And we're we're the the Professional professional Book book Nerds. Nerds. Two Mondays a month, we interview authors and talk about their upcoming books, what drives them, and their go-to order at the cafe. On Thursdays, we share recommendations and dive into topics readers face, like how do I actually read the books on my to-be-read list? You can find the Professional Book Nerds podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Want to learn more about us? Our website is professionalbooknerds.com, and you can find us on Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok at ProBookNerds. We hope you'll come and listen, and as always, happy happy reading. reading. Wow. And the reason it, nobody thought the earth was flat in 1492. Nobody. Okay. They all knew the earth was round. They just didn't know how big it was. And all the, all the debates was how far away is India. And Christopher Columbus thought it was close and other people thought it was far and he thought he could get there. They didn't think the earth was flat. Okay. A guy named John Draper made that story up in 1871 to make Catholics look stupid. (laughs) And it worked. Okay. And since the mid 1800s, there has been this thing. The historians call the conflict thesis, which set, which says that science and religion are at war with each other. Well, before 1850 or so, somewhere around there, science and religion were not at war with each other. Christians didn't think that science was evil and scientists didn't think that religion was stupid. Um, and people believed that it could all fit together. Um, and I think what, what's been going on for the last 150 years is a ridiculous war between like the creationists and the Darwinists in particular and between religious zealots and atheists, um, in particular. And it's totally ridiculous. Um, there is no conflict between science and religion. There is no conflict between Christianity and evolution, but you just have to take a much wider view of things. And I think that this conflict is one of the most unproductive things going on in humanity, period. It's completely stupid. Like that Bill Nye-Ham debate mm-hmm. that they had a few years ago, it was yep. totally stupid. Both sides, okay, as far as I'm concerned, Ken Ham was misrepresenting Christianity and Bill Nye was misrepresenting evolution. And they did a Bad job, both of them, and they both get an F from me. And if you read Evolution 2.0, you'll understand why. You'll understand they completely both missed the point. Yeah. Um, and uh, if you understand evolution, you'll be so amazed. I don't think if you really understand evolution, I don't think you can do anything but go, my goodness, how did we get a universe that amazing? Uh, so I, I – Man, uh, it's, it's time for this to be over. 
Well, I agree. Yeah. <laughs> I think Eric agrees too. <laughs> so most important question of the evening, where can everybody find you and find the book? Uh, if you go to, uh, if you go to cosmicfingerprints.com, you can get three free chapters of the book. Um, and you can, you can find my Facebook page and all that kind of stuff there. Um, you can buy Evolution 2.0 on Audible. It's an audiobook. It's on Amazon. It's in paperback. It's in hardcover. It's in Kindle. Um, and th- this book will totally change the way you see the whole entire world. It'll change the way you see the hand at the end of your arm. Awesome. All right, Perry, thank you so much for coming on with us and taking time out of your day to uh, talk about Evolution 2.0, breaking the deadlock between Darwin and design. I hope you have a good night, and uh, thank you so much for coming on Paratruth Radio. Thanks for having me on your show. It was a real honor, and you guys asked great questions today. Thank you. All right, thank you. Have a good night. All right, folks, that was Perry Marshall, the author of Evolution 2.0, Breaking the Deadlock Between Darwin and Design. Man, that was a fun conversation. Yeah, I had a real fun time talking to him. It's some interesting stuff. You know, evolution has been one of those things uh, that really have been up for debate for a long, 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 long time. I know growing up in a public school, uh, all I ever heard about was Darwinism and how evolution uh, is basically the mainstream go-to theory and belief system that we should all follow it. Uh, you know, many of us see the Darwinism uh, or the Darwin uh Stickers and plaques on the back of cars. It's a little fish with two legs and it says Darwin in it. I see those all the time. Uh, you know, basically mocking, uh, Christianity is really what they were doing. It really is. You know, what's interesting though is there are Christians out there who have, who have the same fish only instead, uh, I believe it says, I don't know if it says God or something like that. And then it's a fish eating the Darwin fish. <laughs> yeah, I don't know if you've seen those. Pretty no, pretty I haven't funny. seen that. <laughs> <laughs> that was pretty funny. Uh, but anyway, anyway, again, that was Perry Marshall. Um, folks, if you want to find his book, he you know he just said it, but we'll say it again: cosmicfingerprints.com. You can get three free page, uh, chapters uh, from there. Uh, also, Amazon, Audible, um, Kindle, et cetera, et cetera. Really, you just have to look up. Evolution 2.0 and it'll pop up first, first link on the, on Google. Uh, also if you're interested in that contest for those of you who, uh, are not creationists, those of you who are atheists or secular, or even if you are a creationist and you want to see if you can win that five million dollars, that's a lot of money. Yeah. I would love to win it, but I don't know what diddly squat <laughs> about, code, <laughs> about <yeah>. coding. <laughs> so, uh, but nonetheless, if you're interested in that, naturalcode.org check it out there's a video there there's information and all the stuff that you need to know in order to enter that contest uh again fun conversation tonight that was something i think we really needed to talk about because that is something we actually never actually really talked about microevolution is about the closest we got um and that was actually the first time microevolution came up with us was uh last summer we had on a guest i can't Think of his name offhand, but we were talking about uh, Noah, about Noah's Ark. Um, oh, yeah. I'm sorry. I can't think of the guest's name at the moment. But uh, we were talking about Noah's Ark, and we were talking about how he can fit the all the animals into Noah's Ark. 
uh, or into the ark, and we decided that was with a to shrink ray, right? Yeah, yeah, that's right. <laughs> and, and I brought up microevolution, how, uh, for example, you bring in two wolves and there could be one gene that is then manipulated through time that creates another and a dog-like creature. Uh, and we keep progressing, progressing. So we have these number of different dogs and crossbreeding and so on and so forth. So, uh, definitely awesome to hear more about microevolution and macroevolution. Justin, what is your takeaway after tonight's episode? I think that he had a really good point that it it's not just one or the other. Uh, Darwinism only gives you a part of the story and creationism gives you the other part. And I think we've said this numerous times that marrying science and religion is in itself an evolution because that is where we are headed. And in order to stop this bickering and hate between the two, two ideals, you have to marry the two because not everyone has that perfect uh, story. They, they don't right. have the whole thing. Right. Nobody, neither, neither side has all the answers. And, uh, you know, one thing I had mentioned at the very beginning is uh, could basically science and religion come together in order to find an absolute regarding evolution and just life in general? You know, obviously Christianity thinks they have the, the, the absolute. And I think it is the absolute, which is simply God created period. Don't need to go into specifics, but he did allow evolution. That's obvious. We see that day to day. Uh, and he allowed a number of other things that are strictly, uh, scientific and more so secular beliefs that Christians just completely ignore. There's a lot of stuff going on out there that people just want to ignore, you know, and I think, uh, both sides have extremists within within them. Yeah. Uh, and, it, you know, I, I, I want to take the time now to just tell people whatever side you whatever walk of life you come from, uh, you know, there's nothing wrong or evil or impure with expanding your mind and taking in the ideas of things such as evolution and other scientific aspects uh, regarding our lives and regarding the creation of the universe. Um it, it really comes down to, mind you, when it comes down to your salvation, for those of you who are Christian, it comes down to one basic, simple fact that Jesus Christ died for your sins and three days later rose again to forgive us all. And if we accept him into our lives uh, and we allow the spirit to come within us, then we are saved, period. There's no rule saying, oh, you have to believe in exactly the six-day creation. Uh, there's no rule saying, oh, you can't believe in evolution or, oh, you can't believe this or believe that. Otherwise, you go to hell. Believe me, there's people out there who believe that. There are people out there who have cursed me for not believing some of those things. And, hey, I'm still here. There's a reason for that, you know. <laughs> the curse didn't work. So, uh, you know, I I know some of you out there are like, oh, this is ridiculous. But, hey, fun stuff, interesting, expand your mind. There's nothing wrong with knowledge. Um, in fact, God created us to be knowledgeable and heck. Why not, you right. know? And it's what makes wisdom. Knowledge makes wisdom uh, in the end. Nothing's so, going to hurt anybody from hearing somebody's side of the story. Really, it's not. Right. Right. Uh, anyway, so that wraps this week's episode. Again, you can catch us on TMV Cafe, the Fringe Radio Network, and, of course, Paranormal UK Radio Network as well. Uh, Spreaker.com. And, of course, as always, 
paratruthradio.com. So again, check us out next week. We'll be here at the same time, same channel. We can't wait to talk with you guys. So until then, as always, my name is Eric. And I'm Justin. Peace. Me too. Yep, me too. But you know, these days, being a grown-up can really suck. Luckily, we're grown-ups who grew up in the coolest generation. We had video arcades. And also some of the best TV and movies ever made. We lived the origin of awesome consumer electronics. The list goes on and on. Yep, Generation X. Exactly. And we're Gen X Grown-Up. Every week, the Gen X Grown-Up podcast explores media, tech, toys, games, and more from both yesterday and today. Through the eyes of Generation Xers who absolutely love that stuff. You can find us on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. Or find us on our website, genxgrownup.com. All right, you think that was good enough? I I hope so, man. I'm tired. (laughs) Who listens to a promo on a podcast and then goes and listens to a different podcast? I've never done it. (laughs)